What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode two of Aren't You a Little Tall to Be a Stormtrooper? Brought to you by one half of the team that brings you the Mass Moon Presents podcast. The better half, I would say. Thank you to everybody that downloaded or streamed the first episode. Your support is much appreciated, and I've had some lovely feedback, which is great. Remember, you can find us at our home, which is massmovement.co.uk, or you can listen to us on all streaming platforms, such as Spotify and Apple Music. Remember to give us a like. I hope you all enjoyed uh, May the 4th. Time to move on now. Uh, this episode, we'll be looking at, amongst other things, my favourite character from the entire Star Wars universe, Darth Vader. And we won't just be looking at him from a film point of view. We'll be looking at his backstory from the beginning to the end. So taking in um, the series, any books, any comics. Obviously not all of them because there's just too many of them. But, you know, I'm going to be touching on the main points. And, you know, hopefully you learn something along the way uh, about this character, which means a lot to me and I think is one of cinema's greatest characters. We'll be looking at some new books, uh, namely Operation Starlight and the new Throne book, Star Wars Throne Ascendancy. Book 2, The Greater Good, uh, by Timothy Zahn. I'll also be having a look at the first couple of episodes of Bad Batch, which dropped recently on Disney+. And we'll be looking at any news coming from the Star Wars universe. So keep it here and let's go. So to kick things off, let's talk about Bad Batch and the long-awaited series from Dave Filoni, who can do no wrong in Star Wars Universe at the moment. Finally dropped on Disney Plus on May the 4th. It's been nothing short of outstanding so far. As this goes to print, if you like, um, we are now three episodes deep. Uh, in case you know, Bad Batch is about defective clones we first met in the Clone Wars, and it's basically their backstory, with the first episode taking place uh, when Emperor Palpatine orders Order 66. So it's something, we, you know, there was visual elements we're already aware of in the first episode, which was really awesome to see. Uh, to see that whole thing going down from another perspective was just awesome. Kanan Jarrus turned up uh, as the young Padawan, that the Bad Batch were helping, and they got to meet another young character, Paul Omega, who there's been various fan theories put out there, um, which I think I can dispel with some confidence. Um, The biggest one is that Omega is actually going to grow up to be Phasma. Now, I think this comes from the, the, the look of Omega, and the fact she's Australian. Now, Gwendolyn Christie, who played uh, Phasma in the movies, is actually English. So, you know, I'm not sure, quite sure what the Australian thing is there. But this is what I'm reading in fan forums, um, that Omega may in fact grow up to be Phasma. But if you've read the Captain Phasma book, you'll know that's not quite how it works. So I can pretty much put that one to bed. But uh, back to Bad Batch, yeah, it was the first three episodes were just awesome viewing. We got to meet some familiar characters, Tarkin, the Emperor, as I mentioned, Kanan Jarrus, 
And it's all sort of an attempt to learn what makes these guys tick. And we learn about the inhibitor chip, which um, the clones have, which makes them obey when Order 66 kicks in and why the guys in the Bad Batch don't have that, which makes for interesting viewing. We come across Saw Gerrera, a younger version of Saw Gerrera, who, of course, we know from uh, Rogue One. So that was another interesting little element they threw in there. So, yeah, props to uh, Dave Filoni again. Um, he's delivered another kick-ass show in the Star Wars world, and i got big hopes for it. So I'm very much looking forward to what Bad Batch is going to offer us in the future. And don't forget, you can catch that uh, on Disney Plus every Friday. A new episode's been dropping. I think there's, there's three there now. Go check them out. You won't regret it. Okay, original trilogy fans, listen up. You may be interested to hear that Operation Starlight is out now. So this is a collection of books released last year. Uh, they've finally been collected now in one uh, series. Based after the Battle of Hoth, um, Commander Elian Zahar has been tracking down the remnants of the Rebel fleet, who are obviously now scattered all across the galaxy. Now, this is a great little book because it takes place in in a, in a familiar world even the most casual of Star Wars fans would recognise. I mean, we get there's little stories that we didn't get to see play out on screen uh, involving Lando, Chewie, uh, C-3PO and Princess Leia whilst they're being held in Cloud City, which obviously makes for interesting reading. And it's all written by Charles Sewell, who I've mentioned already on this podcast. On this podcast, um, his work with Star Wars is amazing. He, he he really knows this universe and gets to grips with the universe and the characters, um, which is important in this uh, book, especially because it's characters who are already established, and he makes it very familiar, but also bringing. Uh, a brand new sort of aspect to it all. So I can fully recommend Operation Starlight. It's by Marvel. Get to your local comic store and pick that up right now. <coughs> Moving on, uh, another character that's getting a lot of love recently from the Star Wars universe, uh, which I'm particularly pleased about, is Grand Admiral Thrawn. So I've been a fan of uh, Thrawn since his introduction in 1991, I believe it was, in Hair to the Empire by Timothy Zahn. Obviously now um, with Disney, that that's not canon anymore. But basically he rose to become the leader of the Galactic Empire post-Return of the Jedi uh, and in an effort to rebuild things. But again, as I say, this is not canon now. But what is now canon is the uh, Throne Ascendancy books by Timothy Zahn of Zan is the guy who wrote the original Hate to the Empire novel and brought in Throne to the Star Wars series. Um, Throne was obviously seen in um, clone, sorry, Star Wars Rebels, so we have seen him alive on screen, but now his entire backstory um, is getting a bit of love. Firstly, with um, the Chaos Rising, the, the first of the Throne Ascendancy books, and now we've got... Uh, Book two, which is 
the greater good. It's the second in the throne ascendancy books, and it basically sees um, Thrawn, who's now sort of become a, a well-known figure within the the Empire, sort of uh, establishing himself as a forerunner of the of the Empire. And again, we find him looking for that unseen threat, which is trying to uh, put a rift between the nine ruling families of the galaxy. And this book, again, is testament to Zahn's writing and, and his vision for creating uh, an awesome character, which obviously uh, becomes the Emperor's sort of right-hand man after Vader at one point. The book, the action comes fast and often, and it just serves to flesh out the backstory of Thrawn, and it's a really, really enthralling read. Fans of the original trilogy, I would say, would take to this more than newer fans, but to be fair, to be honest, uh, any Star Wars fan should check this out. So that's out now on Delray Books in hardback. Go and check it out. <coughs> Star Wars news has been a bit thin on the ground as of late, as you would imagine after May the 4th and so much going on. But one big bit of news that did uh, slip through was the promotion of Dave Filoni to uh, Lucasfilm Executive Creative Director, which is awesome. I mean, his work in Star Wars over the last few years has been nothing short of exceptional. So long may that continue. Uh, him and John Favreau are absolutely killing it at the moment in the Star Wars universe. They've really taken a fresh perspective of everything and given it a much-needed boost, which uh, was lacking a little bit, I think. So very happy to hear that. But as promised, let's move on now to the story of Darth Vader from beginning to end. Um, this is all canon stuff, including a little bit of insight from myself and my own personal sort of feelings towards Earl. Um, but yeah, let's jump into that. So, you know, I defy any Star Wars fan of any generation, perhaps perhaps more so my generation, uh, you know, the uh, mid-40s, should we say, to not feel intimidated by the legendary Sith Lord that is Darth Vader. His first on-screen appearance, of course, was in Star Wars, is a masterpiece in classic filmmaking as his stormtroopers tasked with retrieving the stolen Death Star plans storm the rebel ship looking to capture Princess Leia. That vision of him storming through the blaster smoke is one of the most iconic entrances in movie history. And that combined with his synthetic breathing and that deep robotic voice courtesy of James Earl Jones cemented Darth Vader's place as the most menacing body in film history. In a flash, he was played by many actors, namely and most famously the late great Dave Prowse. But the likes of Hayden Christensen, Gene Bryant, Spencer Wilding have all donned the famous suit too. Drawing influence from history, it's thought that George Lucas uh, based Darth Vader on the Japanese warlord Date Masamune, who donned black armour, much like our favourite Sith. And the name Darth Vader was said to be inspired by the German version of Darth Vata, meaning Dark Father, which of course he ultimately is. As we know, he was born Anakin Skywalker to Shmi Skywalker, a captured slave on the planet Tatooine. Now, this is where it gets weird, because there's no father in the classic sense. 
but Anakin's birth came about through the manipulation of midichlorians. This long-held fan theory was actually confirmed by Charles Sewell in Darth Vader number 25, where we actually get to see Palpatine working his magic on Shmi, courtesy of some stunning artwork by Giuseppe Camnicoli. As he grows up, Anakin is recognised as having a very high midichlorian count by Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn, and his freedom is won in a pod race. He ends up going with Qui-Gon and his Padawan, Obi-Wan Kenobi, to the Jedi Council to be trained as a Jedi Knight. Now, as any parent will tell you, Anakin's teen years are filled with mixed emotions, frustration and impatience, specifically with the Council's and, more to the point, Obi-Wan's reluctance to train him quicker. In Attack of the Clones, we begin to see the first glimpses of Anakin's uncontrolled rage, which would later um, shape him after he of his mother's capture by the Sand People. He flees to rescue her and viciously cuts down an entire village of Sand People when Shmi dies in his arms. At the same time, the teen protege starts to develop feelings for the former Queen Amidala, now Padme Amidala, and when they are captured on Geonosis and death is imminent, Padme reciprocates that love, causing Anakin to break another Jedi law. In his first encounter with a Sith, Anakin's anger once more gets the better of him and he charges Count Dooku but the wily Sith is able to swiftly strike down Anakin, causing him to lose an arm in the process. It's after these events that we see Padme and Anakin seal their love with a secret wedding on Padme's home planet of Naboo, and we get a glimpse of the future with Anakin now sporting a robotic arm. During the ongoing Clone Wars, we learn that Anakin, now granted the status of Jedi Knight, is assigned a Padawan by Master Yoda in the form of Ahsoka Tano. This in itself is a strange move, as... The pair are as stubborn as each other, but ultimately a strong bond is formed and helps somewhat in Anakin's eventual downfall, as his natural inclination for overprotection is once again challenged. Not perhaps Yoda's best move. And with Senator Palpatine quietly manipulating the young Jedi, Padme reveals she's pregnant, so old feelings of losing somebody important are stirred up which are further fueled by Palpatine's revelations that the dark side of the Force may be able to protect her. This brings us to a poignant moment which may have been missed on first, first viewing, but when Anakin is dispatched to take care of Count Dooku, there's a moment when Ahsoka says goodbye and good luck to her master, and to both that this is in fact their last contact in Anakin's present form. That's definitely worth a revisit, and if you want to check that out, guys, Go watch Clone Wars Episode 9, Season 7. Definitely one that pulls on the heartstrings. When it's revealed that Senator Palpatine is in fact the Sith Lord the Jedi have been hunting, Master Mace Windu is tasked with arresting the crooked Senator. In perhaps his final act as Anakin Skywalker as we knew him, he strikes down Mace Windu and pledges his loyalty to Palpatine. From now on, he'll be known as Lord Vader. His first act as Lord Vader is to wipe out the remaining Jedi start at the Jedi Temple, where he brutally slays everybody in sight, including Jedi younglings. Learning of this betrayal and his jump to the dark side, Padme sets out on an attempt to rescue the brainwashed Jedi, but little does she know that Obi-Wan has stowed aboard her ship, as he knows that this former Padawan is, at this point, way beyond saving. Padme locates Anakin on the planet Mustafar, where he declares himself almighty ruler of the galaxy. And it's in this moment that she knows that the man she loved has truly gone. When Obi-Wan makes his presence known, this further infuriates Anakin, who force chokes his wife into unconsciousness and ultimately death. 
what proceeds is perhaps the best lightsaber battle, or at least my favourite of the entire series, as we witness Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi, two Jedi in their absolute prime, fighting out all over the lava-strewn industrial land of Mustafa. Finally, gaining the upper hand, Obi-Wan Kenobi gives Anakin one final warning before his ego gets gets him killed. Obviously, the enraged Vader ignores his warning, and Obi-Wan shows just why he is the ultimate Jedi Master, cleanly striking Vader down, causing him to lose his arms and legs. Vader is left face down in the rock as the lava slowly creeps up to burning, screaming vengeance as he goes. This is really his brutal stuff for Star Wars. I'm, of course, talking about the ending of uh, Revenge of the Sith. The newly crowned Emperor Palpatine senses that Vader is in trouble and immediately dispatches a medical team to Mustafar to retrieve what remains of Vader. Dramatically, there's still life left in him, and with some surgical wizardry, the likes of which we might have seen uh, on General Grievous, perhaps General Grievous was like the experiment to this, Darth Vader is given new life. With a built-in respirator and bionic arms and legs, Vader is unveiled as a menacing human-machine hybrid, and most importantly, has retained his Sith power. In what is now canon, there is a short confrontation between Vader and Palpatine at the point where Vader first gets up from his uh, surgery and his new suit uh, fitting, if you like, where Vader attempts to choke the Emperor before he himself is actually struck down with Force Lightning and warned that you'll never do that again. When asked what happened to his weapon, Vader explains to the Emperor he was lost in battle, and it's at this point we get an explanation as to why Sith uh, lightsabers are always red. Uh, The Emperor informs him that they are made to bleed, uh, rather menacingly, Vader is told that to build his own saber, he must retrieve a kyber crystal from an existing saber. In that crystal, he must pull all his emotion, all his rage, all his hate, until that crystal is blood red. So essentially, post-Revenge of the Sith, Vader's first mission is to locate a Jedi and steal his lightsaber to corrupt for himself. The Darth Vader comic series of 2017 contains many moments of Vader awesomeness, which includes his quest for a long-thought-lost Sith artefact, namely the mask of a Sith master named Darth Momin. Now, Momin was a legendary Sith architect who combined his skills as a builder with his skills uh, with the dark side to make powerful Sith monuments. Having found the mask, Vader sees one of Momin's last designs, and that's what he wants on Mustafar for himself and plans to build a fortress there, which you know ultimately does, as we see in Rogue One. But he does so using the mask and the powers it contains. Uh, at one point, we see a, an epic um, scene where Vader even tries on the mask, uh, which usually cannot be rejected by whoever bears the mask. But in a testament to his own powers, Vader is able to rebuff it. The next big event in Vader's life comes with the inevitable showdown with his former Padawan, Ahsoka Tanao, who, despite her abilities, has renounced the Jedi way. Uh, When Vader confronts young Force leader Ezra Bridger in the season two finale of Rebels, his fate looks sealed only for Ahsoka to make a timely intervention. It has to be said, the visual of Vader guiding a TIE fighter slowly towards Ezra while he stands on top of it, is up there with anything we've seen in the saga. Not believing, or perhaps not wanting to believe, they battle in an epic lightsaber duel 
with Ahsoka unaware that Vader could actually be Anakin until the point where she briefly gets the upper hand and smashes Vader's mask, revealing the eyes of Anakin. A ploy perhaps to reel her in or a genuine nod to to those abilities, I'm not sure. This duel represents yet another sad chapter in Vader's life. George Lucas himself once described it, Star Wars could really be called the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker. When a rogue rebellion unit steals the Death Star plans from under the nose of the Empire, Director Krennic is tasked with retrieving said plans and that ultimately fails miserably. But taking matters into his own hands, Vader shows up just after the plans are uploaded to Princess Leia's ship, where he lays waste to a handful of unfortunate rebellion soldiers in the most brutal way possible. Now this, for me, uh, this plays out in the closing scenes of Rogue One and represents the best live-action Darth Vader we've seen on screen. As he marches through the corridor, dispatching hapless soldier after hapless soldier, using all the skills at his disposal, the rebels get away by the skin of their teeth. But as we know, this is just the setup scenario for the original Star Wars movie and the infamous entrance I spoke about earlier. As I said, this brings us to the classic original trilogy era, where Vader is still hunting down the stolen Death Star plans, and inadvertently crosses paths with a young Jedi wannabe named Luke Skywalker and the Princess of Alderaan, Leia, both of which, of course, is offspring from his relationship with Padme Amidala. Luke has since sought the counsel of Obi-Wan Kenobi back home on Tatooine, and is now being trained by Vader's former master and nemesis. It's not sure at this point if Vader is aware that Princess Leia um, is his daughter, but he definitely knows that Luke Skywalker is his son, but nevertheless, uh, he keeps that knowledge close to his chest. When the Rebellion launch a mission to free Leia from the Empire's grasp, Vader finally gets the rematch he's been looking for, as he faces off once more with Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, for the last time. It's a steep learning curve for young Skywalker as he watches the Sith Lord dispatch Obi-Wan in surprisingly easy fashion, which, as it turns out, is merely Obi-Wan finally seeking peace with himself and sort of teaching uh, Luke a lesson. But it's not all smooth sailing for Darth Vader as Leia and the Rebellion make their escape and the Death Star is destroyed by the Rebellion with help from an ever more powerful Luke Skywalker. Never one to be kept down, Vader and the Empire regroup and get to work on a new Death Star, whilst, of course, scouring the galaxy for Skywalker. Luring Skywalker's friends into a trap on Cloud City, Vader manipulates Luke away from his training on Dagobah with Yoda to confront the young Jedi and tell him a few home truths, including dropping one of the most iconic lines in cinema history as Vader tells Luke, No, I'm your father. In a nod to Anakin's own journey, this battle between father and son sees Luke lose his hand. Which brings us on to Return of the Jedi, which sees the end of the line for the Darth Vader story as it comes full circle. The Emperor, clearly seeing the potential in turning Luke Skywalker to the dark side, sets Vader on a mission to capture the now fully-fledged Jedi Master, whilst keeping the troops on course to complete the new Death Star. Luke, realising that his own fate depends on him confronting Vader, and with the new knowledge that he has learned that Leah is in fact his sister, the stakes erupt and Luke surrenders to the Dark Lord. Brought before the Emperor with the intention of turning Skywalker together, a number of conflicts arise within Vader and Luke, with a force flowing through him, can sense these feelings. Realising that he's in danger of failing his mission and that Skywalker in fact will not be turned, the Emperor attacks Luke with force lightning. 
Sensing that his son is in fact near death at this point, Vader turns full circle, picks the Emperor up, and throws him down a shaft, but not before absorbing some of that force lightning in what turns out to be his last fatal move. With his ventilator quickly failing, Vader asks Luke to remove his mask so that he can look upon his son with his own eyes in a truly moving scene uh, which fully brings on the tragedy. Vader is dead. Just before he dies, he becomes Anakin Skywalker one final time. The Vader story is truly a classic story of tragedy in every sense of the word. A seemingly harmless little boy who was manipulated even before he was born goes on to witness heartbreak for most of his life before making bad choices based on that heartbreak, which almost end his life prematurely. Then, when he realises his mistakes, he's almost in too deep at that point, but when he's needed most, he comes good at the expense of his own life. It's perhaps the reason I love Darth Vader so much. Despite being half-cyborg, he represents very real human emotions, which we have all felt at one point or another, you know, apart from perhaps the pain of lava burning him. So there you have it. That's the Darth Vader story. I think I um, covered every major plot point. But if you think there's something I missed, drop me an email. You can get me at chris at massmovement.co.uk. I'd love to have your feedback. And that brings us to the end of the show. Um, Thank you to everyone who's listened previously. Please remember to follow us, like us. Go to massmovement.co.uk and give us a follow there. Thanks to Delray Books. Go check out Star Wars Throne Ascendancy series. So that's book one, which is Chaos Rising, and book two, which is The Greater Good. Both available on Delray Books now, or you can pick them up anywhere books are sold. Go to Marvel Comics and check out Operation Starlight now. Uh, trust me, you won't, re- you won't regret it. Uh, the next episode, episode three, uh, will be looking at the life and times of Luke Skywalker, uh, keeping it in canon once again. Um, but again, it's, we'll be deep diving the stuff we know and the stuff we don't know, plus some personal insights. So make sure you join in for that. In the meantime, may the Force be with you. Catch you soon.